Hi guys, a quick message. Inside the Groove, the Madonna Music Podcast has been nominated for a Queerty Award, the Queerties 2022, and now live. But I need you to vote. There's stiff competition from the Drag Race All-Stars, the Bald and the Beautiful, and heaps of other great queer podcasts. But oh, we need Madonna to win. We need to prove that Madonna and her music is still relevant in 2022. You can vote on each of your devices once a day, every day, up until February the 22nd. Just go to queerty.com forward slash queerties2022 and add your vote for Inside the Groove. Keep going back every day to vote and get on the forums, get on your socials, Instagram, Twitter, wherever, and tell other Madonna fans to vote for Inside the Groove at Queerties. Thank you so, so much. It's 2022, which marks 40 years since the release of Madonna's very first single, Everybody, in 1982. Last August, it was announced that her albums would be re-released with new versions curated by Madonna herself. What does that mean? Well, here on Inside the Groove, we're working through each of her albums one by one to tell the story of how they were recorded, written and produced, along with the iconic photography and graphic design. Welcome to the second part of the deep dive into the erotica period, this time focusing on the book Sex, which accompanied its release. Published on 21st October 1992, a day after the album, it features photography by Stephen Mizell and Fabian Baran, who was also the creative lead on the book. It was edited by Glenn O'Brien and it sold over 150,000 copies on its first day and remains the fastest selling coffee table book. I'll be telling the story of how it was conceived, shot and manufactured as well as its legacy and I'm joined by two industry experts and Madonna fans who will give you the detail about the shoots and the design. I'll also be discussing some of the music from the album which didn't make it onto the final version including a demo of the song Erotic, a version of Erotica which accompanied the book's release and putting special focus on the song Goodbye to Innocence, an outtake from the sessions which eventually had its own release, not before morphing into to a more successful track from the album Fever. So, for now, sit back, relax, just believe in what my lips have to say as we go Inside the Groove. Welcome to the second part of our look at the erotica period and in this episode I'll be looking at the sex book, playing some of the music that didn't make the final album and pondering what could be on a future re-release. In 1991, Madonna began recording her album Erotica. At one point, she called it Rain, and for a very long time, it was actually called Girly Show, the title she would eventually give to the supporting tour. Documents from around this time have the album beginning with Deeper and Deeper, then into Bad Girl, with the song Erotica much later in the running order. At this point, she was still considering using some songs that wouldn't make the final cut. Stay tuned to hear some of them. 
One of those songs was You Are The One, which she later earmarked for British rapper-slash-singer Betty Boo, who she was keen to sign to Maverick. I'll have more about that song in a short moment. Madonna later said that releasing the book and the album together meant that the controversy surrounding the whole book fiasco overshadowed the album, which was underappreciated, and I think she's possibly right. Perhaps had she stuck with Girly Show as the title and not linked it so closely to sex. Oh well, who can say? I can remember this period very clearly. I was, by now, quite a Madonna obsessive. I don't remember exactly when I heard that she was bringing out a new album, all the details around it, but I knew we were getting her movie A League of Their Own first. It seemed like ages before, in fact, it was almost a year that they had shot it, and I'd heard rumours that she was releasing a song, a title track or something, but wasn't sure about it or when it would be. Fast forward to late May, maybe very early June 1992, and I was on a shopping and clubbing trip to London. I popped into Tower Records, Piccadilly, and there was a cassette single, or cassingle, as we call them, and there was this new track, This Used to Be My Playground. It wasn't in any other format, so I bought it. I didn't have a cassette player with me, or at the place where I was staying. And I, you know, I, I don't know to this day why it had been stocked several weeks before it was officially released. I couldn't listen to it, so instead I enjoyed a night out at Bang in the Astoria, as we did at the time. If you were there, you were there. And I had to wait until I was at home in Bristol that Sunday evening to hear it. And maybe it was my come down, but I was quite disappointed by the schmaltzy ballad. We'd left Madonna with Rescue Me, and this was not what I wanted from her at all. Now, don't worry, I've since grown to love This Used to Be My Playground, but it did knock my confidence in her, and I think this was the very first time that I'd ever been disappointed by something that Madonna had done. Now, I know that there are fans out there that just live for that kind of disappointment, but for me it was a bit of a shock. But that all disappeared a few months later when I first heard the erotica single, which was everything I wanted. And again... It's a long time, so I'm not sure when I first heard about the sex book. We didn't have the internet back then, of course, so all the news either came from Smash Hits or Music Week or Q Magazine or the Daily Press. Often there would be stories about her in the sun. And if you were lucky, a friend of a friend might have heard something that they passed on. But I certainly knew that she was planning a book of raunchy photography, and I remember that people were already up in arms and very unhappy about it. Fast forward again to the release of the book Sex, just a day after the album, and I bought a copy. It was amazing. And although it wasn't hardcore pornography, I mean, let me be crude for a minute, there was no labia or (laughs) erections or penetration. But the poses and the scenarios were really quite shocking. Okay, I was only 22 and it was the 90s, but clearly Madonna was receiving oral attention in one of the shots, and there was a lot of S&M. And it was unlike anything a pop star, let alone a female pop star, had done before or since. Yes, we live in a more permissive world now, but you can't imagine Ariana or Katy Perry doing that sort of thing today. Fast forward yet again 30 years and Madonna is photographed under a bed and people are still outraged. This is just this is just what happens with Madonna. And couple this with the fact that it was a high quality product and a beautiful pop art design. Oh, sex book was such a delicious thing. I really, really loved it. And so preparing for this episode, I've kind of been looking through it again online this time because I've lost my copy and it's just reminded me just just how wonderful it is. So I've brought you the story of how it came about and a few facts and figures around it. And of course, I've got uh, my colleagues Jonathan and Peter here to talk about it too. 
So, how and when did the sex book come about? Well, there are a few rumours. One is that Madonna was approached with the idea in 1991. According to Entertainment Weekly, writing about the project in 1992, Judith Regan, vice president and editor-in-chief of Simon & Schuster, met Madonna and her then-manager Freddie DeMann in LA, March 1991, to propose a book of erotic photos. Apparently, by the end of the meeting, Madonna had agreed, in principle, to do a book titled Madonna's Book of Erotica and Sexual Fantasies. She told Regan that Demand would call her and work out the book's details, but Judith never heard back and assumed that the idea had gone away. Well, in music, they say where there's a hit, there's a writ, and I reckon it must be similar for books. I'm here now with fashion photographer Jonathan Daniel Price. Hello, Jonathan. Can you spread some truth on the matter? Well, so. I mean, what I love about many of these monumental moments in Madonna's career is that there's a lot of mythology around it. And you hear many stories around the sex book of people taking claim for the idea that they were the one who approached her to do it. But the story that I've heard and read about was Stephen Mizell talking about Madonna, speaking with him about doing his own book. So in that time period, you know, Stephen's already a very successful photographer and his contemporaries of her Brits and Helmut Newton and Bruce Weber have already released their own books. And so Madonna has suggested that he do one and he makes an agreement with her that he will, but only if she's involved. So one of the early conversations is around creating a a kind of Cindy Sherman style book in which Madonna took on different characters, different roles. And then as they explored that territory, the sex book came up. And of course she kind of does take on different roles in the book. Doing this kind of work, I mentioned it when we talked about the album, you know, it's hard to not overstate how much trust is needed in this kind of project. You know, you need to remember these are just people and we see them as these sort of untouchable creative figures, but actually to have the trust and to follow your gut instinct to create something like this, you know, it takes a lot. They started shooting in New York in January of 92. A lot of those very clean black and white studio images were taken at Stephen's place on Worcester Street. But there are also other iconic landmark locations in New York featured in the book, like the Gaiety Theatre, the Vault in the Meatpacking District and the Chelsea Hotel. And of course, that so beautifully adds to this texture of of the book being about eroticism, because all of these places have their own stories behind them. They shot in New York for a few weeks and then moved on to Miami in the February of 92. And apparently Madonna rented a suite at the Alexander Hotel for a week and then rented a house on Bricknell Avenue, which she ended up buying. I love that you have the power to do that. Just decide <laughs> a photoshoot location will then become your home. And of course, many of the other scenes in the book are on the boulevards, that famous image of her flagging down a car and then on the beach as well, which we discussed with the erotica album because that's one of the photographs that was used for the cover image. Digging into some of the stories behind this shoot, it was it was funny to find an interview with one of the club managers of The Vault who spoke to the National Enquirer in 2000 where he said that she was a regular and she'd come to watch people. He said that she was particularly interested in homosexuals. And it was obviously used as a location for sex, but I don't know how much we can take his word as fact in the National Enquirer, but there's probably, (laughs) you know, a grain of truth in there somewhere. They ended up using actually one of the security guards in the sex book from the vault. His name's Lucifer. 
And that location was also where they shot the erotica music video. So there's this real thread running throughout all the creative work. Stephen Mizell is really this elusive character. He does not like giving interviews or being seen publicly, but there have been a few times in which his work is spoken about publicly. And Naomi Campbell, who was of course featured in the book and Stephen Mizell is credited as pushing her career at the beginning. She said that he really works in a very role play type of way on set. So he gives you a character and you play that out on a shoot. And I think that kind of device can be so literally seen done very effectively in the sex book. You know, the literal rape fantasies and the orgies that are shown in the book. He obviously was practiced at doing, at creating this environment where everyone was sort of performing. I mean, I remember when I first discovered this book, and again, like with many of the other albums, it was retroactively, but I think I was about maybe 15 and I found a copy in an Oxfam shop. And of course, when you're 15 and you see a book with an aluminium cover with three letters stamped on it saying sex, it gets your attention. <laughs> but I had no idea how incredible it would actually be on the inside. I talked about this book actually in an episode of my own podcast called Photographic Memory because it's had such a huge impact on my own photographic work and also me becoming a photographer. I sort of see this book as an encyclopedia of photographic technique. You know, it uses double and triple exposures. There's words scratched into the negatives. There's contact sheets. It's black and white. It's polarized. It, you know, they really go there with many different techniques and I just loved it. It was a treat for me to, to open these pages and, and see all the possibilities of photography. You know, looking at it now, I sort of feel the visuals somewhat cannibalize the music of the, of the erotica album, but in a way that was effective, you know, it sold so many copies, millions of copies. It's still, I think one of the fastest selling coffee tables books ever produced. And, and if you try and find it now secondhand, you know, I was very lucky getting it in an Oxfam shop, but actually, you know, if you get a really high quality sealed version, you're talking like, you know, 10 times the original price and looking at the imagery, I think it really stands the test of time. You know, it looks fresh. It mm. looks cool and interesting. Mm. And of course it wasn't just Stephen who was a creative on the book alongside Madonna. She was also working with Fabian Barron, the art director who we spoke about in the last episode because of his involvement with the erotica album design. Also here is Peter Falloon, a graphic designer and art designer himself. Peter, what can you tell me about Fabian's involvement? Um, it's got that lovely crossover between all three of the projects, so like the music video, the sex book, and then the out artwork. So they all seem to borrow from one another. Like there's parts of the graphic design work that pop up in all three. So like the I'll teach you how to graphic originates in the book and is then flashed on screen in the music video. So it's, it's that marriage of graphic design and illustration and texture that sort of makes the whole project really rich from a graphic designer's point of view just like being able to have the same person direct the video who was also directing the artwork and then working with the photographer on the book so i think one of the things that i enjoy the most is knowing that the sex book photographs were being shot and then fabian baron just had to drift in and out of the setups to get the the, the moving image work, but it, it it's really clever how they all tie into one another, which I don't really think up until that point had been done particularly well. 
So all three, you can see them and see the synergy between them. But as a, a piece of like textural artwork, it was really like pushing the boundaries of like what Photoshop could do. So as Jonathan said, like it looks like messy montage and there's there's texture in it, there's photos torn up. There's even like <laughs> a poem written in the shape of a vagina, which for a typographer, that's going to be a challenge. Um, she's written a lot of it herself and like her handwriting can be seen throughout. So it's just that amalgamation of what could have been quite high art and polished because myself fabian had worked on like, like brand books for like balenciaga and dior and they're so clean and pristine and beautiful and the image is hero and then the typography just supports it this is the first time that like they sort of mesh together and there's a real grit and i think like we said in in the erotica album it's just being able to have that scratch and that that technique that runs through the entire book it's and then like as jonathan said having the whole thing like welded together in this metal cover that was i imagine like a feat of engineering to get something like that into production and the mylar cover that then went over the top of it like i've never actually seen one in person so <laughs> i would very much like to but yeah uh, uh, for a graphic designer there's an awful lot there because there's so many touch points and references and then to sort of see the entire thing brought to life visually in a music video as well it's just perfection well i saw one in in, in person because i bought it on the day it came out and i really didn't want to open it because because it was just such a beautiful product as it was um but I, it was so expensive i can't remember how much it costs now and probably it's, it's an amount that won't sound expensive now like 50 pounds yeah i mean that would have been a lot of money to me yeah. back in 1992 so i did open it and 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 it was wonderful because you also then had a cd in full inside as well as the the honeymoon book and and I, my copy is long since lost unfortunately i've moved around the world and and, and not kept hold of it which is a real shame because because i miss it is there any further reading or listening or watching that you'd like to recommend mm. So firstly, I think people should go on YouTube and look up some of that footage that Peter mentioned shot by Fabian during the shoot on 16 millimeter. You know, it's very rough and real and, and just fun because you get to see the work in progress. But there's a few photo shoots she's done around this time as promotional material where she looks very different in every one. And I just, I, I love how she em embraces all different styles. So firstly, the Vanity Fair cover story that she shot with Stephen in 92. It was called Madonna in Wonderland. And it could have been a whole other section taken from the sex book. It's sort of got this Lolita theme. So she's seen cuddling a toy and sitting on a swing, her hair is in pigtails, all pastel colors. You know, it's very cute with obvious sexual overtones. And I wonder looking at the photos today, if that could even be produced today in a mainstream magazine. You know, it sort of touches on the edges a, a little. Another shoot I think that people should look up was taken from Newsweek in November 92 and it was shot by Wayne Mazur and it ended up being the cover of Deeper and Deeper that Peter doesn't like so much and we think <laughs> works well. But the cover from the Newsweek story is her face quite close in with the gold tooth and inside some of the outtakes and the inside the image is her with the cigar. And I feel like this again is her in a, a whole different look, but but I just love it. And I think uh, it ended up being used, you know, in lots of different magazines around the world. There was actually a second part to the shoot as well, where she's got a crown of thorns and not much else on, but those photos weren't really used in print, but you can find them if you Google it. 
Another photo shoot she did in October 92 to promote the project was with US Vogue. This is again shot by Stephen. And they shot in the summer of 92 in downtown New York. She's dressed in a kind of 70s theme. Some of the images remind me a bit actually of the Like a Prayer artwork. It's very grunge, the, the sort of beginnings of this grunge movement with an appreciation of vintage. The colours looks a bit like 1970s photos that Sarah Moon took for Biba. You know, they're quite soft and she's wearing bell bottoms with, you know, a wool sweater. And one of those images ended up being used as the single cover for I'll Remember in 94 and also ended up being used in the girly show program. The final shoot that I'd like people to witness was in October 93. So we're jumping forward a little. This is now her promoting the, sh the tour and they were taken from the Vogue Paris cover story shot by Ellen von Unworth, another relationship that ended up lasting years. Madonna shot quite a few times with her. This looks very different to the rest of Erotica. You know, we jumped forward a bit of time, but it is still within the time period of promoting the Erotica period. And again, she looks, you know, uh, very much touching on the edge of grunge, quite sort of dirty, smudged eyeliner. And she's got a sort of a uh, tousled hair that's longer and a blunt fringe, a look that I hadn't really seen of her before. And these images were also used in the girly show tour merchandise. Excellent. Peter, anything? Definitely go and have a look at Fabian's website. It's just a treasure trove. He has worked for everyone and the volume of work, and there isn't a dip in quality. So he was responsible for, as I think I said earlier, the, the rebrand of Harper's Bazaar, but also Italian Vogue. It won all sorts of awards for his work on those, but it's also his work for Interview Magazine. So there's another tie back to like Andy Warhol and that whole era. So definitely I will post the details of that. But yeah, his work is phenomenal and spread a, a massive bridge of time. He's also really hot, which... Um, um, the other one would be a lady that we touched on in the Like a Prayer episode. She was uh, Margot Chase, who sadly died. Um, she handled the tour booklet for the girly show. So all of the illustrations and the things in there were done by her. And this, this, she sort of moved it in a different direction, played with the whole Pyro thing. So there's a, some early Photoshop work in there as well, like being able to like layer things up and put patterns through the, the Pyro shape. So I would go and have a look at that as well. She's done beautiful work. So if you weren't lucky enough to have seen a copy of the book, or if you're like me and are stupid enough to have travelled the world and not properly stored your belongings, then I would urge you to check it out online. There are lots of examples of people looking at it on YouTube, um, but one thing you can't really appreciate is just how beautifully it was manufactured and how wonderful the tangible object was to hold. However, it wasn't easy to create such a wonderful piece of art like sex. As we said, it came wrapped in a PET minor bag, a similar material to those kind of foil balloons you get in the office when someone you hate is having a birthday. Well, the book itself also had a metal cover, aluminium, and it was spiral bound. In Lucy O'Brien's book, Like an Icon, co-publisher Charles Melcher talks about how difficult it was to make. He says... We had to sign our lives away before we saw any pictures up front. It was all very top secret and hush-hush. We had armed guards at the printing plant. What with the metal and the Mylar bag and the CD, it was like building a car. The assembly line was staggering and all at super speed because Madonna had a lot of other commitments. 
Then the day came and it went out to people and they went berserk. They lined up to get the £25 a copy book and they bought stacks. Melcher also talks about how they tried various ideas of clasping it and wrapping it before settling on the polythene bag, and simply because they thought it looked like a condom. As for the metal itself, well, it, they used one and a half million pounds of aluminium, that's about a pound per book, which is just astonishing. So it's no wonder that the manufacturing process took over six months. This this meant that although Madonna's album was ready by the summer, the publication of the book and the album didn't happen until October. This meant it was nearly two years since we'd had proper new material from Madonna in the form of the Immaculate Collection album. If it weren't for This Used To Be My Playground in the summer, we'd have hardly heard from her at all. Talking of which, and I'll come back to the sex book and its reception, what about the music that never made it onto Erotica? Well, thanks to the leaked rain tapes, we've heard a few of those tracks. And if you go back to listen to the Erotica episode of this podcast, you'll get to hear the history of songs like You Thrill Me that made it onto that single itself. But what about the stuff that never got used? Have a listen to this. Well, that's a Shep Pettibone song called You Are The One, which of course never made it onto Erotica and has never been officially released. And as a fan, I just wish we could have CD quality versions of that song. And maybe that will be on the upcoming re-release. Who knows? It wasn't the only unused, discarded track uh, from the Shep Sessions. Here's another one called Dear Father. Another great song, possibly not as good as some of the stuff that did make it onto Erotica, although it reminds me a fair bit of Rescue Me, which is a favourite of mine. Another song that you may have heard of, because it did eventually get a release, is a track called Goodbye to Innocence. There's quite a story here. Here's the earliest demo that we know of. What you're hearing here is an instrumental demo, which we assume is what Madonna would have heard, and she would have gone away and come up with some lyrical and melodic ideas. This is what it then developed into next. Hello, man. I think it's great, but I can see how, once again, it's not as strong as some of the stuff we got. And there may well be other versions of Goodbye to Innocence. However, at some point, Shep did quite a drastic change. He says in the Erotica Diaries, One of the tracks, Goodbye to Innocence, just wasn't working. There was something about the song that just didn't grab Madonna, so we had to fix it. 
And this was actually the day before her birthday in 1992. This was what we believe could be the reworked version. Have a listen to this. This is very rare. Does that sound familiar to you? Well, according to the Erotica Diaries, Shep continues, Madonna put on her headphones and got ready to lay down the vocals for Goodbye to Innocence, but instead of singing the original words, which were written last year, Madonna started toying with the lyrics, singing the words to the lounge lizard act staple, Fever. At first we thought, this is cool, and it was. It sounded so good that we decided to take it one step further and actually cover the tune. Too bad that no one knew the words. What we needed was a copy of Fever if we were going to record it that day. So Madonna got on the phone with Seymour Stein and Sire Records, and within an hour we had the lyric sheets, the Peggy Lee version, and the original version of the song in our hands. I was really impressed by how quickly we got it all. That was the last track on Erotica, and we finished mixing it in time to celebrate Madonna's birthday. And of course, this is how that album version sounded. But that wasn't to be the last we'd hear of Goodbye to Innocence. As I mentioned in the last episode, the B-side of Rain was a, gosh, 10, 11 minute track called Up Down Suite, a dance track which featured some Madonna's vocals, which sounded great and I was really impressed with it. And it wasn't until the following year that I found out that it was a remix of a song called Goodbye to Innocence. And I first heard that on a compilation called Just Say Row, part of the Sire Records Just Say series, which was a pro-choice collection of songs. And Madonna featured on one of them. And we finally got to hear, I don't know, I suppose we call this the finished version of Goodbye to Innocence, whether this was done by Shep after the album had been completed or whether this is just another one of the versions going along. Who knows? But it's a really, really great track. Um, have a listen to this. My thought, I reckon it was done after Erotica with Shep trying to rescue the song for use as a B-side and for whatever reason instead we got the extended dub mix called Up Down Sweet with Goodbye to Innocence being held back for the Just Say Row compilation album. I guess we may find out when the album gets re-released as part of these um, new personally created by Madonna versions we're expecting to start hearing about very soon. On October 15th, 1992, Madonna threw a sex book pre-release party at New York City's Industria Super Studio and signed all the invitations under her alter ego, Dieter. Madonna turned up at the party dressed like little Bo Peep and even carried a stuffed lamb under her arm. Both Walden Books and Barnes and & Noble prepared corporate statements that the store managers could share with their customers in case they were offended by the book sex and both statements defended the right of bookstores to provide diversity and choice 
Of course, on Public Ocean, it broke records. And as mentioned, it remains the biggest selling coffee table book of all time. But not everybody loved it. The Daily Beast said this book is neither groundbreaking nor particularly sexy. Meanwhile, Calvin Tompkins, who was the author and art critic for The New Yorker, gave a reasonably positive review, but said, unfortunately... This book is going to be mistaken for pornography. And it's true that its release did sort of overshadow erotica, which kind of went unnoticed in many, respo- many respects. But it sold really well in the US, where it retailed for £50. And it was actually £25 in Europe. And in the US, uh, it sold 150,000 copies on its release day, with an additional 500,000 a week later. And don't forget... It was both the number one book on the Washington Post and the New York Times bestseller list. Over the months and years that followed, we learned more about the process, how around 80,000 photos were shot, despite only a handful being used, and how some of these shots were stolen and were later retrieved by the FBI. But as with all things in Madonna's career, she eventually moves on. She has no regrets, as we know, and she has commented that it was a reflection of who she was at the time, but not who she is now. Of course, Madonna will always be provocative, and as our society becomes more and more permissive, If that's the way things are going, it's very likely that we will look back at the book and admire it for the work of art it is and question why a woman was ever criticised for creating such a provocative project. She later said, There was a lot of irony in the sex book and I am poking fun at a lot of the things and I am being kind of silly and adolescent and I am being very F you. If a man can do it, I can do it. Well, these days there are several writers, including the author Martin Amos, who consider it to be a bold post-feminist work of art. But in the year or so immediately following erotica and sex, Madonna suffered. However, it wouldn't be long before she found a way to say that she was not sorry and yet also deliver one of the most successful and beautiful ballads of her career only two years after the controversy began. Join us next time when we discuss bedtime stories and throw focus on that song, Take a Bow. If you can't wait, well, become a patron. Head to the website, it's www.insidethegroove.co.uk. Sign up and you can also support the website by purchasing some of the high quality merchandise such as t-shirts and mugs. Honestly, if you've not checked it out, why not? It's really good. Maybe buy them for the Madonna fan in your life. Until the next time. <laughs>